The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we will review Austin's home loss in the season opener to Minnesota United. We will preview the away trip to Seattle and cover a few other pieces of Austin FC news. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. And Landon, it's good to be back here doing this with you again after a week off last week. I think all of the weeks all run together. I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure that Mike and I did last week's show. Yeah, it felt because we did so much the week before, it didn't entirely feel like a week off. But I did uh, finally, after I got back from vacation, listen to y'all and y'all did an excellent job. As always, big thanks to Mike Crignola for stepping in and and covering that so I could take a proper vacation. And it was uh, well needed and well enjoyed. And thanks to Andy Lockdane for being super uh, informative and helpful. And so on Saturday, I saw you and apparently you had a mishap on vacation. Do you want to maybe share that with, oh. with people? <laughs> I um, got into the ocean when it was maybe a little too rough to do that and got pushed on to some rocks and got a big gash taken out of my, a big chunk of skin taken out of my foot and was uh, kind of hobbled for several days. But I'm, I'm fit as a fiddle now as long as I <laughs> cover it up. <laughs> All right, good to see you did not you did not play any soccer on Saturday then, right? So which that I did allowed not. you yeah. No, which I allowed made you to back, come to the made it back to the gym today, but no soccer on Saturday. Okay. Yeah, so but no I, I got to go got to go see you MC the McCalla Station Grand Opening instead of playing soccer. And I had no idea what to expect out of that, but there were like more people and more excitement there than I thought there would be. There are a lot of balloons. There are a lot. I mean, a train station opening seems that like it would be appeal to a very limited subset of humanity. But they they were all out and no. and like Cal Metro did a good job of that event. Also, very surprised by how many people were there. Um, uh, but you, I, I mean, you also you did an excellent job of emceeing the whole thing. I thought all the speakers were good, and uh, it was fun to watch a train drive through a big banner and shoot <laughs> confetti into the air. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot about that part. I was standing on the the station, and the person who's like for cat measures running it is like, "Is the confetti like cannon in sight and ready to go?" And I'm like, "This is my kind of party. When there's a confetti cannon, and that's the most important thing that we're worried about, then that's what we love." So yeah, that was fun to do. Um, we that was the last time we saw each other, right? I made it. To, I went to Turnstile before the match. You did you go to Hop Squad and do the march? Uh, we yeah, we started at Fairweather and then walked over to Hop Squad just in time for the march. So how how did that go? It was good. I mean, um, I don't. I think I maybe missed the march last season, um, but I, I mean, it was probably as big as it ever has been, except for maybe that very first game. Uh, but yeah, really good, really good energy. Morgan brought it as always, so a lot of fun. And then, um, okay, so we should probably get into the game now, which is the least fun part of the day, I think. But we'll. We'll try to break it down for everybody and sort of get into like the 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 big notes about about how the match went um, and break it down and hopefully try to find a way to stay constructive and positive through talking about opening day. Yeah, so I think probably the one of the bigger storylines to talk through is just how terrible this team looked in the first half of this game. I thought the first like five minutes or so 
had some promising moments, some showing like, okay, they're, they're adapting a little bit from last year. They're doing something a little bit different. And then after those five minutes, it looked different, but still terrible and really, really bad. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Minnesota, this is going to be my impression of it. It seemed like Minnesota came out in a high press, which is not like something Minnesota's naturally want to do, but it is something that seems to be very, very effective against Austin because Austin seemed to have like no ideas from most of the first half. Am I accurately summing that up? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for some different reasons than what we saw last year. So we see the switch in the midfield, uh, Alex Ring playing the lone six, Sebastian Drusi is a late scratch. It was announced, I think, the day before, a couple of days before, that he was questionable uh, with a, a minor hamstring injury. Josh Wolf says after the game that it's nothing super serious. They don't expect him out for a long time, but kept him out of this game to the extent where he didn't even dress, wasn't on the bench. So the midfield was Alex Ring as a lone six, and then Danny Pereira and Owen Wolf as those dual tins. Owen Wolf stepping into that Drusi role. Uh, what ended up happening is it it got really stretched out in the midfield and really disconnected where we had our back line of four and Alex Ring trying to break the press on their own. And then Danny and Owen were pushed up quite high playing as like where you'd expect them to be as they like get past midfield and are getting into that like past the buildup phase of of the attack and into – uh, like pushing into like that fi- that final third shape. Instead, it would often end up Alex like Alex Ring is not going to break the press on his own like Danny could, right? So it would often end up with him com- combining with center backs, and then as the pressure got too much, they would launch it upfield. Which is like, I mean, it's good to see that they're trying to play a little more vertically at times whenever that pressure does get too much, but when the passes aren't that great. And there's nobody that like nobody fast enough to really just play a hopeful ball past the back line and for them to run onto it. Like it, it's not going to be super successful, and it wasn't very successful. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't say they were like strategically vertical, right? I mean, they were vertical because they were pinned back and didn't know what to do. Or do you think that was like part of the game plan? I there was there did seem to be a bit of strategy to it, but I think it's also partially what stretched the midfield out so much because you would see Danny and Owen running, making like those vertical runs up that those like inside channels every once in a while. And so hoping to catch the defense off guard and that rarely worked. And then as they were staying up high, if the pressure started and they weren't already making that run, then that long ball is not going to work. And then also Alex ring has no forward outlet to play to like break that line and play through. And so I think, was it the, the galaxy game? Was that the, the preseason game that was streamed? That was the one that was on. That was the one that we got to see. Yeah. They were trying to break lines and play through those seams more often in that game, which was a thing I really liked to see. But as that wasn't available, as Minnesota was clogging that those lanes up and not letting them do that, they didn't have a backup plan. And that kind of just lasted the whole first half. Yeah, I think to get into the numbers of that a little bit, and maybe we can get into the post-game comments from Josh Wolf too, because I think they were really evident. So in the first half, Minnesota United has basically 60% possession, 
because on FOP Mob, it's 14 shots to three and shots on target seven to one. I feel like it was, I've seen it even more one sided than that in other places. So it was just really, really non competitive in the first half and a big chance is six to zero. So I think the most amazing thing from that first half is like how much work Brad Stuver had to do to keep it from completely falling apart. Yeah, absolutely. It was um, defensively as well. Like, there was like a bit of a shift in the defensive structure. I know last year it was almost always that four four two. They would try to press fairly often. This shape, they would like Danny Prayer would still fall back in next to Alex Ring, but then Owen Wolf and Drusy. We saw him do this in preseason as well. He would sit behind the striker and kind of mark their six or like their central midfielder. And so they were pressing less often, only really pressing as they would move the ball backwards and kind of in, invite it. And like there was kind of a, a signal in very specific moments to do that. Otherwise, they were sitting back a little bit. And I I like that better. I think I said this several times last year where I don't think this team has the right personnel to press very well all the way across the field. And so I'd rather see them not try. And so I think... I, I like that shift, but like the bend but don't break mentality only works for so long if you never actually win the ball. And we don't have many ball winners in this team, maybe any real ball winners in this team. I, Alex Ring, in his prime, and I'd say even two years ago for Austin when he was playing that position, he covered a lot of ground, would kind of make these heroic runs to to make these last-ditch tackles. But when he's just playing in the midfield and goes up into a challenge, he's not that good at winning the ball. And we need someone who's able to do that. And so when you have Alex Rang playing as that lone six, he's not breaking the press on his own, but he's also not winning balls and breaking up transitions like you would hope he would be able to, right? And so that's that trade-off. I know a lot of people wanted to see Danny Pereira play up higher, but it took him out of the game a lot. He was not getting the ball in, in parts of the field in the first half where he could really affect the game at all. And so what you saw in the second half is Danny Pereira starts dropping in, and in the buildup, it's more of like a, a midfield two with Ring and Pereira both kind of dropping in and bringing the ball forward. And that's when you see Austin start to really put some pressure on Minnesota. They were not able to finish off any of the plays except for the last touch of the game. Um, but they did finally start getting into the final third, start getting some of those patterns of play that Josh Wolf really wants them to get into. And Danny Pereira dropping back into the midfield to help in the buildup and really take advantage of his skill set is what allowed them to be able to do that. Well, let's talk about the second half then and like how how it changed. Uh, I mean, it was, there was that transition, but also at what fifty eight, Austin got three subs. So uh, Johan Valencia, Hunter Obreon, and um, Diego Rubio, all three come on. Um, and so one like how does how does Valencia coming in like change the alignment of the midfield for people? And then like, let's talk about like Rubio and Obreon, like changing the energy in the attack. Yeah. So what they ended up doing was pushing ring a bit further forward and moving Valencia to that deeper central midfield spot. Uh, and then 
Obreon for Finley was just a straight swap on the right wing. Rubio for Zardes was a straight straight swap up top. And then they pushed Owen Wolf out to right fullback and were letting him push forward and get more into the attack. And so, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of it still was Danny getting involved because the, the change didn't, not all of the changes in the second half came with the substitutions. You saw some of some more momentum build before those even happened. I think what changed was once we got into like we broke that first line of pressure, what was happening after that, I think that's really where Rubio and Obreon were able to affect the game a little bit. Um, I, it's, it wasn't a ton of minutes. I don't think they were perfect, but I thought what they brought was much better than what we had on the field before. I thought Finley played not a great game. Zardes was kind of non-existent. Um, and then I feel like, I, yeah, I don't know. I, did you did did Valencia stand out to you one way or the other at all while he was on the field? He didn't stand out to me either way, which I think maybe it's okay because that's a little bit of what you need from him. And I think what I saw out of him that you touched on is like him being there a lot of other players to do to do other better things. What's funny? I was today I was at the gym with a guy who goes to every game, and he was talking about Obreon. He's like, that guy makes things happen, half good, half bad. Like you never. Right, he was all over the field, and sometimes he had a heavy touch, and sometimes he was in weird places. But you know, he was always a factor, which I think is a little bit of like an agent of chaos that Austin maybe needs and doesn't have too. Yeah, so like looking for towards the lineup next week, um, I think Rubio, like he's still like at his age and the as little preseason as he got. I hope he's ready. I think that's the only reason he didn't start this game is because if he can't go 60, you can't really start him, right? Um, If he can go 60 in Seattle, I think he should, even if it's only 60. I think Biru is in a similar similar spot. We'll talk more about him as we get into the goals. But uh, Obreon is in a spot where he, he got a full preseason, right? He had as much preseason as Ethan Finley did, maybe a slightly shorter one. So... I would really like to see Hutter Obreon. I understand why that didn't happen. He is newer. You want with Drew C out, maybe you want some some consistency in the lineup. But after the 30 minutes that we saw him play and the 60 minutes we saw Finley play, I would like to see Obreon definitely start in this next game. And one of the reasons that I think that we should be open to seeing more changes earlier than one would expect, just generally knowing Josh Wolf is this quote about how Austin, how bad Austin was in the first half. He says it was unrecognizable from what our group has looked like in six or seven weeks of preseason from personality to speed, to combativeness to dueling. It was sorely lacking in the things we preached on and been about in the preseason, which to follow through on that, like you think it would be open to making some changes and like having some real um, consequences for sort of like what happened in this half. Yeah. And I mean, it later in that press conference, it sounded like he was, but also, kind of reference like we want to make changes, but fitness is still a thing. Like fitness is still an issue here. And so like Biru played 30 minutes and looked tired already. So I don't, I don't think he's a candidate to start yet. Rubio again, I hope he is, but I don't know if he is again. Obreon though. I think he really is there. And then maybe some changes in the midfield as well. Uh, Owen Wolf showed some like 
some moments and some sparks where he showed his talent, but many other moments he was non-existent or bad. Uh, I I thought he looked decent when he went in it, switched, switched over to fullback and then ends up getting the assist later in the game. Um, but I think there's an, a chance we see Alex ring. Like it will say if Drew sees not available, Alex ring, push forward Valencia play the six and Danny kind of do what he did in the second half where he's dropping in and helping in the buildup. But then as we push forward, moving forward with the play. And knowing that Drew C has a little bit of a knock and this game's on turf, that seems entirely reasonable that this is what we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's take a break and then we'll get into the the details of sort of the match and some other storylines and news. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FEF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And they have their own podcast called Summary Judgment, which you can check out everywhere you get your podcasts and I believe on YouTube also. You can go to FEF.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FEF.law. Amplify Credit Union is a member-owned financial cooperative that served the needs of Central Texans for over five decades. Amplify's team lives and works in the community, making them the experts on how members can achieve their financial goals. What makes Amplify different? No bank fees. And Amplify is the first financial institution in Texas to put an end to bank fees. In 2022, Americans paid almost $8 billion in overdraft fees alone. Millennials pay an average $336 a year in bank fees, which works out to six Austin FC game tickets per person per year. We pay none of those with Amplify Credit Union. Amplify membership is open to any Texas resident. Learn to trust your bank again, Amplify Credit Union. And also, free parking via Amplify Credit Union is going to be back again this season. So you can go to www.goamplify.com slash moontower to find out more about Amplify Credit Union and more about their sweet, sweet parking spaces. All right, we are back. Let's jump back into some more details about the Austin FC versus Minnesota United game. Let's start up with the lineup. And this is going to bring back, uh, I'd say, beloved segment, at least from a few people who have told me this online. But this is all caps. This is where right. one of us... <laughs> I feel like I know which one of us it is now. (laughs) The one who knew about the segment? (laughs) Yes. This is where one of us brings up uh, a grievance or an annoyance that has happened this week. This week, I'm going to talk about the Austin FC starting lineup because all week, Josh Wolf was saying Diego Rubio, actually for the last few weeks, saying Diego Rubio is not up to fitness yet. It'll probably be a little bit. And then in the press availability on Wednesday or Thursday of last week, he said, yeah, Diego's probably not up to f- up to speed yet. He still needs a few weeks. And then as soon as the roster dropped and Zardes is on the starting 11, I saw a bunch of people complaining about Rubio not starting. I'm like, you're not paying attention. <laughs> it was, Listen like, to the man. You you ex- like you you knew right you expected to see Zardes on this lineup right absolutely yes and and I get the reasons why and they're 
it's one of those where obviously the people who are in the locker room and around the team and see the players every day know way better than I do who should be starting and who's like healthy enough to do it. But no, I was, this is other than not knowing about the health of Julio Cascante, which we can maybe get into in a little bit. Like this is exactly what about bet money on this lineup being exact 11. Yeah. I mean, I actually, I put a tweet out a couple of hours before the game and said, this is what I expected to see. And it was this exact 11. And I was, this is not inside information. I'm not claiming to be smart. I was going off of what Josh Wolf has been saying for the last two weeks. And so I, I, I mainly bring this up to bring up one of the things, like the complaints about Josh Wolf that I think is completely overblown. It's the fact that he's too slow to integrate players. I don't think that's, maybe that's been true with one or two players ever, but in the grand scheme of things, the players who were fit and good enough have played pretty much immediately. Drew C played immediately. Ragoni played immediately. The guys who are in season and like probably starting caliber played. I think Radovanovic is like maybe the one caveat here, but he also had a sh- shoulder made of uh, shattered glass. And so there's maybe some stuff there we didn't know about too. But in general, it seems like he listens to Dave Tinney who is very respected in the sports science thing. If they have those little humps on their backs, this is tracking. Like they have baselines for all these guys. They know what their fitness looks like based on a lot of metrics and scientists looking into this stuff. If they don't think they can go 60 minutes, they're not going to start them. And that's based on what he said the last two weeks, based on what he said after the game, that is the case for Diego Rubio, and it seems like maybe even Obreon and Biru. Yep. Well, let's. So that lineup was Stuver and Goal, not surprising. Kolbenich and Gallagher at fullback, Hedges and Feisen, because as we mentioned, Leo Cascante's been um, not in training a lot. It's so like this was also not that surprising that he yeah. wasn't starting. Although, given what happened in the match, it was great that he was fit enough to play, what, 60 minutes or whatever he did play? Yeah, and I thought whenever he came on, he brought a bit of urgency. I, I think, I don't know if it's it's confidence or maybe that uh, the coaching staff was able to kind of talk to him and say, this is what we're seeing, this is what we need you to do when you go out there. But he brought a bit of, like maybe one of the only bright spots in that first half was Julio was able to kind of impose himself on the game a little bit. Maybe not a ton, but he looked better than most players uh attacking wise anyway in that first half yeah and then that's um him okay so then we have ring wolf Pereira in the midfield which we talked about finley Zardes uh and rigoni up top the one thing about five minutes before he came in is because i've sit in the south west corner so it's like right that's where the guys train and one thing is like the guy that helps guys warm up is different this year than than years past Oh, um, well, and, did Tinny usually go down there with them, or was it someone no, else? No, it's one of the assistant coaches. This guy has a man bun and is not as tall as the other guy, and that's really oh, all I know okay. about him at this point. Um, but but about five minutes before he came in, both uh, Julio and Brendan Hines Ike were the two players like warming up in the corner. So it became so really clear that there was like a medical thing that was going to happen, and somebody had to come in. It seemed like maybe Vison told them beforehand, like, "Hey, I don't beforehand, know how much longer yeah. I can go." 
Yeah, that yeah, that's what it seemed like because those, those were the only two players warming up in the first half, and then shortly after that, I think yeah, Julio comes on at thirty six. It did not take long before he was the one that came onto the field. Yeah, and uh, there's reports that Vicenin left the stadium on crutches after the game, and so it's very good news that I mean Julio went sixty some on minutes right and seemed fine, so. That's good news that if if Vicenin's not going to be able to go next week, that it seems like Julio will be able to go at least 60 or 70 minutes next week. That is that is good news. I mean, yes. And searching for searching for sunshine in the clouds. That is what that's one bit of good news. Uh so we talked earlier before the break about how Austin was kind of a mess in the first half. Um we get the first goal at 34. And Pookie was a menace. I guess that was the one thing I would just add in general yeah, uh, that we should probably talk a little bit about. Not surprising, right? Like, he's very good. <laughs> he's really good, right? That's A that's guy who thing. scored a bunch of goals for a couple of years in the Premier League and then did it for several more years in the English Championship. Like, not surprising. So this goal, like you said, comes in the 34th minute. Uh, Pookie is kind of driving up the middle of the field in transition. Austin is on their heels, kind of, out of sorts, running backwards. Uh, Pookie takes a shot, and Danny Pereira kind of comes out of nowhere and blocks it without Pookie knowing he was there. The deflection falls to Sangbin Jones' path on the right, kind of running up the right side into the box. Uh, he crosses it in really hard across the box. Stuver gets a hand to it, but it falls right to Robin Lloyd on the backside, and he finishes it. So a little bit of misfortune in this goal, but before this a lot of luck plus a man named Bradley Stuver kept three to six other goals from going in. And so I don't think we can complain about being unlucky here just because there was a little deflection in this goal. Yeah. I think he ended up with like eight saves on the night. So he, he did his everything he could do to keep it as competitive as possible. Uh, And then, yeah, shortly after that, we did get the Julio Cascante comes on Leo off. Like you mentioned, we, he reportedly left on crutches. I uh, heard it was a plantar fasciitis injury, which I have had, and they are terrible. I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, but <laughs> it's not a fun thing to deal with. It's the kind of thing that can flare up like repeatedly, right? So it's not, this could be an ongoing troublesome thing for him for like the whole season, maybe. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that triple substitution at 58, and then Guillermo Biro comes on for Kolmanich at 74. So he got a good. Uh, 15 to 20 minutes or so there. I thought he looked pretty good in his time. Um, I, what I liked was seeing him kind of get into a couple of wrestling matches and really be physical and be able to kind of hold his own in the box. I think that's something Austin FC lacks with certain lineups, including whenever John Coleman is on the field. Although I thought John did a, a decent defensive job in moments where, I would have expected him not to <laughs> often. Um, but I, I kind of want to see more of Biru's like 1v1 defending, getting out in space and going against like some really pacey wingers. I don't think he was on there long enough for us to get a good look at that. But what we did see is people like people talk about this Brazilian flair and like I don't I don't like to stereotype players based on the country that they're from. Um it's uh, it's not always true and like leans into even being problematic at times, I think. <laughs> uh, 
that being said, Biru is definitely Brazilian and he's like got like this, I don't know, that like that joy of playing. He looks like a soccer player, like the way he touches the ball, the like the confidence he carries on the field. Like it's it was refreshing to even just see the way he takes a touch out of the air, the way he was warming up and like taking touches off of his shoulder as they were doing like warmups and stuff like that. Just, uh, I'm, I'm really hoping he can kind of bring some of that, that flair onto the field whenever he gets fit enough to play more minutes. Um, that set Minnesota's second goal somehow doesn't come until, uh, the end of regulations, so like past the 90th minute, right? This one comes off of, um, I think it was an Austin corner. Minnesota wins the ball and is driving the other way. Uh, Oluwasi, who is the the sub striker, is running in behind the line. They have, um, I can't remember who it was. Oh, Caden Clark out on the right wing with the ball. Biru and Cascante are running, kind of holding a line behind Oluwasi. And I think they know, like, okay, he's running ahead of us. We're going to check and let him run past us. Danny Pereira didn't get the memo. (laughs) And he's, like, caught between trying to play the offside trap and trying to play the passing lane. And he chose the passing lane and kept running up ahead of Oluwasi. And it kept him onside. I it's a tough situation when you're in that position, but I think the right thing to do would be to check a little bit, get in line with Biru and Cascante and let Oluwasi run offside and then deal with Caden Clark out on the right-hand Whatever side. Whatever happens. And he yeah. kind of got caught in between and didn't do either. It was a good ball from Clark to play him in, but Danny shouldn't have kept him onside that, for, for that long. I can see it for a little bit, but it was a good 20, 30 yards that he's running and never – checked, never even thought about taking a step back. Yeah, so, I saw a lot of saw a lot of talk about this just like on, on social media and whatever afterwards. Um because this one was what originally it was a goal, then it was called offside, then it was overturned via VAR, right? If I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah, I mean they, they they let the play go, but then the the linesman waved the flag and then VAR overturned it. I had a I mean my my seats aren't on that line, but from where I was, I think the TV angle made it look more dubious. From where I was, I was pretty sure that Danny was keeping keeping him onside. And to the extent where, like, I thought maybe there was someone else offside whenever they they waved that flag, like maybe the whoever finished it, Braun. I was thinking like maybe he was offside at the very end there or something. Um, but I think it was that initial one. But I don't think it was close based on what I saw in the stadium. Yeah, well, I'm from the southwest corner. I just, I'm surprised by everything that happens on the north end. <laughs> um, which probably leads us to the, uh, we talked a little bit about this ref strike. Or I guess, sorry, it's not a strike. The lockout, correct? Lockout, which one is it yeah. officially? It's officially a lockout because they rejected the uh, the offer. And I know there's a lot of concern around how this game would be called. And I feel like for the most part, the refs were not part of the the story of the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they were great, but there was like not there was nothing like egregious that I saw. With this being the I, greatest opportunity for something like that, I agree. I think there was some inconsistency with what was a foul and what wasn't. There was a couple of uh, handball shouts, I think, going both ways that none of which ever got called. Um, but 
that sounds like something I said a hundred times last season right? <laughs> with all so. kinds of officials, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I still very much support the regular refs and hope that they can, um, get what they are asking for in these negotiations. But I'm also glad to see that with these replacements, that it's not been an enormous issue so far in, in the, in this one game. And I don't, I actually watched a lot of of matches uh, over the weekend. Don't remember there being like a ton of officiating controversy overall. Uh, in the Miami game. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, yeah, the Miami game too. Never mind. Which I watched too. I forgot back Bu- home. Partially Busquets black magic as well. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, and so then so it's two nil. We're already in extra time at this point, which the clock is counting in the stadium. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice rule change. Everybody knew how much time had expired and how much time there was to go. Um, and this, and then what would basically, was it not basically the last touch of the game? Or it was like literally the last touch of the they, game. Austin they let got them one do back. the kickoff and they, like the kick, the pass from kickoff and the ref blew the whistle. So it was effectively the last touch of the game was Guilherme Biru uh, burying a goal. So this one starts with Owen Wolf receiving wide right from the fullback position this time, pushing up high. He plays in Diego Rubio in behind and then makes a run into the box. Rubio is able to hold up the ball to allow him to get into that spot and then finds Owen in the box. Owen plays a one-two with ring to get into the inline, cuts the ball back across like towards the penalty spot where Biru is arriving late on that backside, takes a touch, does really well to be patient. I think that's one where you could panic and try to, hit a bouncing ball in the box, and that's when you sky it and hit it two yards over the box from six yards out. He does really well to be patient, takes a touch, finishes with power over St. Clair. Um, really good, like a, a good moment of composure by him, I thought, to to take that touch. And that that's what I'm talking about when I say, like, this guy's Brazilian. Like, he like he, yeah, he's a defender, but when he's in the box, he'll take a touch, make sure he's set up, yeah, I don't care if the keeper gets into position. That's fine. I'm going to hit it over his shoulder and put it into the, the top netting. Um, well, but that reminds me, one thing we should talk about in this second half were the opportunities that were not taken. So I think at least one Rigoni uh, move, and I believe Alex Ring also had a ball in a forward position and took at least one too many passes, if not, like just seemed afraid to take a shot on goal. Which yeah. I am not a like screaming at guys to shoot every time they're across the half field line, generally. But I feel like there were some missed opportunities to shoot in this. Yeah, in the second the, half. I don't remember what the order of those was, but Rigoni is in like at the top of the box, like in in the middle of the goal with guys running. He ins- instead of taking a shot kind of like chips the ball over to Obreon on the far side. The ball is like a little too lofted and kind of behind Obreon, so he has to check his run and then turn and try to make something happen and ends up fizzling out. And then Alex Ring, I he gets in behind kind of on his own. And what did he end up doing with the ball? I don't remember what he did in that one. I feel like he I think he just like sort of checked back, right? And then um I don't know where it ended up, honestly. I don't remember what it was, but and I was yelling at him to shoot on this one. And I again, I'm I'm not the the guy who yells shoot anytime anybody touches it in the final third because it's not always the right thing to do. I think in Alex Rings especially, it was the right thing to do. Like 
take that shot there. And then yeah, and uh, there's also in the first half, Finley gets a like a really good pattern of play, finds Finley in like around the penalty spot, and he kind of scuffs one with his left foot. Um so yeah, a, a few moments where this is I know you and other other folks like to laugh at the terms verticality and ruthlessness. This was a lack of ruthlessness, right? Like these are the moments where you want to see someone have the confidence, have the like the fire in them to say, no, this is mine. I'm finishing this right now. And unsurprisingly, based on what we saw the rest of the game, it didn't seem like anybody had that in them. No, yeah, not not, not at all. And like to Austin's detriment. So at the end, I think ultimately Austin had, I think like one, it's a little over one XG, like 1.11. And most of it was on that Obrey. Not most of it. A third of it was on Obrey on shot. And then the rest of like the other 0.8 come from like every other attempt on the night. So a few, definitely like, half-hearted headers and <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some really there were some really bad headers. I think it was the only shot on goal in the first half, right? Was a header that Dane St. Clair that Jackson Billy could have saved. Finley hit him like it, it yeah, it was like far post and he didn't get a lot of power on it and it hit St. Clair in the chest and he just caught it. Yeah. Um, um but still, gosh, I think well, I'd be curious about your impression on this because this is a big online debate like because Austin was so bad in the first half and generally so bad overnight like it's in my head this is the kind of game that Sebastian Jerusi like finds some magic maybe out of and pulls in a goal that at least pulls out a draw and then with him not there the opera the hopes that something like that was going to happen I feel like were a lot dimmer at least in my head than they would have been otherwise yeah dimmer than they were otherwise but there was I mean that that is true. Period. That if Juicy's on the field, you'd think with that handful of chances that they generated in the second half, especially like where they were, they were good patterns finding people in good spots in the box. Like that's what you want to find. That's what this team tries to do. And you'd think if Juicy gets on the end of one of those, he's burying it. Right. Um, that said. Obreon and uh, and Rubio had some show, showed again. I don't think they were perfect, uh, but they showed something different. And talking about this, um, the Biru goal, uh, Rubio floats out wide to combine with Owen. That's not a thing Zardes is doing, right? Like he's not he's not finding the ball like that, and it's a thing that Rubio has done a lot in his career. And so to know that, like, okay, if we're struggling to combine on the end, this is a guy who will run over and get on the ball and kind of combine with guys and, and play make. And Zardes is just not going to do that. He's never really done that. But at this phase of career, he's especially not going to do it. And then Obreon is a guy who I'm, I'm guessing part of why he doesn't start is that uh, Wolf trusts Finley positionally and kind of to be just one of the – the veteran guys on the field. But when Obreon came on, like he's got a spark to him. He likes to, he's a fighter. He likes to play fast. And whenever a team is like, looked like they did in that first half, even if Obreon's not in the right spot all the time, he's not where you want him to be. Whenever you need a spark, he's a guy who can give that to you. So I thought those were two of the, small positives to take away from this game that when these guys are fit, maybe 
they can bring something different than what this team has ever really had. Yeah, there's there's an opportunity there, but I think you're probably right in that they they seem best positioned to be guys off the bench or like positional like role player kind of guys to do that and not somebody you want to count on have to count on game in game out. You know, one somebody that took a lot of flack who always takes a lot of flack was Owen Wolf, um, who did not seem particularly good, but I feel like what was asked of him is like a 19 year old who plays everywhere all over the field to be Sebastian Jerusi is also not very fair. Of an ass. Yeah, and Wolf said after Josh Wolf said after the game that like yeah it's it's not a it's not a one for one swap it's not a like for like like we're not asking him to be Seba but when you put him into the team in the spot where Seba plays and don't change anything else like that Seb, the Seba ness has to come from somewhere either in the in the aggregate or by changing what someone else is doing and if you're just kind of asking him to do the same stuff then. Uh, I don't think we should be surprised when it doesn't work out that Owen Wolf isn't as good as Sebastian Drusi. <laughs> yeah, that's not really breaking news. And I did love and this the, quote. like the alternative there though. Like, what is the alternative? I, the only other thing I can think of is playing Ring there, and then putting totally. Valencia as the six. I think that's yeah. the the other thing. I think you lose things no matter what, and so I don't think it's like a terrible decision, but. Um, I I think you're right that Owen Wolf was not necessarily set up to succeed in this scenario. Yeah, and I did love this thing during the week when uh, I guess who was it? Jeff Jones from KVU asked Josh Wolf who which player we would trust most to perform surgery on him, and said that <laughs> Owen Owen could do it because he does a lot of Legos. I don't know if you were going to think of a player to perform surgery on you, would his skilled Legos be something that you would would you rely on or maybe not? I thought this was very funny because I saw. The um, I wasn't able to attend this media availability, and so I saw like somebody clip that quote and put it on Twitter out of context, and I was like, "Why in the world was Josh Wolf talking about Legos?" <laughs> talking about Legos, yeah. <laughs> and it's only slightly less absurd in context. Yeah, and I feel like what, the game what's operation. Your what's the your game operation for- is the one? Oh, what what Austin FC player would I want to operate on me? Yeah. Oh man, that's uh, that is that is a very good question. Who is like the most? I mean, I don't know, but maybe it is Owen Wolf. I mean, he's very young to be doing surgery. Yeah, I mean, Drusy comes to mind. John Gallagher seems like the guy that's like pretty smart and able to learn and pretty good at almost everything. That I can see him like picking up. Because I feel like. Somebody like Alex Ring would be too sure in their ability that he would yeah. probably kill me. <laughs> it was just I, like think, aggressively. I think I would take uh, maybe Matt Hedges. Oh, yeah, that's probably true, too. <laughs> He's, it, you know that guy's got his like uh, malpractice insurance paid up and has oh, you know, yeah. all the proper all the proper regulations and paperwork for sure. Okay, well, that's a very stupid angle that we just took. <laughs> so, like, who, What players have we not talked about that maybe you want to cover a little bit about? Um, I mean, we did just mention Hedges. I thought he was, this was probably as good as we've seen him. I know there was like a lot of pressure and like an inability to get the ball out of our defensive third. I don't think usually that was Matt Hedges' fault. And then he actually came up big in a few moments and, and made some nice little tackles. So I'm hoping that like he can bring some momentum from that. Um, Vicenin, 
he made some pretty risky passes in the first half that I did not like and put his teammates under some undue pressure. Um, so, I mean, we don't know when he's going to come back, but I hope that isn't indicative of what he was he's going to be doing. Because in, in preseason, I thought he looked quite good and like seemed confident, and it didn't seem like that in this game. It's hard to say too much good about anybody, right? Yeah. Yeah, nobody was amazing, for sure. Um, I was thinking just a few post-game notes. So um, one is Will Bruin kind of came in over the top with the uh, post on X about the club. So basically he started with the Austin has one of the best home atmospheres in the league. Don't get how they are always playing behind. Should be on the front foot, front foot more and then answer the, somebody another fan's question with like soft mentality. So I DM'd him. He did not write back. I offered him to like the, every opportunity. So Will Bruin, if you're listening and want to come on and explain like your thoughts, be happy to have you. But like, what did you, what did you take out of that? Does Austin have a soft mentality? I mean, yeah, I think so. Um, I there was I don't know how much you read into the the rest of these threads though, but he he responds to a few things, and he says soft mentality, and I think you could read that as a shot at Josh Wolf. But then later in the thread, he goes on to say, like, I love Josh Wolf and think he's a great manager, but you can't always play from behind like this. And so I would be very curious to hear him talk about that now that he is no longer an employee of the club to say, like, like in what categories do you rate him as a manager and what categories do you think he's deficient? Because that's the thing that like we talk about a lot that we don't know the answer to that because we're not there on the inside. Will Bruin's been there. Will Bruin has played for really good teams with really strong mentalities. And so I would be very interested to hear what he has to say about that. And then I think something else that he confirms something that we've talked about a lot is someone said, uh, Josh Wolf drives a Ferrari like a Fiat and Will Bruin just responds, no Ferraris. Like to no say, Ferraris. No, no, no. I saw that there, too. There's yeah. no Ferraris on this team. <laughs> yeah, that part is definitely true. And I, you know, there's, I mean, the evidence obviously suggests like Austin has a real tendency to fall behind early, um, which is 100% true. And even during 2022, right, the big story of the best season Austin has had is like how many come from behind victories Austin has because they would continue to put themselves behind early. Um, so that was not surprising, but yeah, I would love to have some kind of insight into like what, how those like apply to the field, um, you know, and like what do you do differently? To yeah, those, and like what, how, like from happening? How like how do you fix it, or how do you build that mentality? And you think about like, um, Roto has talked about in a few press conferences about like how momentum happens in a season, and you think back to 2022 where they start off the year with those two five goal wins and how much that like makes players confident, makes them want to play on the front foot, makes them like not play from behind, like Will Bruin is saying. And then after coming from a season like last year, we see this first game where that confidence does not seem to be there. And it doesn't seem to me like it's not the same thing as like not caring because I think the players seem to care, but they did not seem to believe in themselves. And, and that's some of, some of the things we talked about around, you know, guys that should have been aggressive and were in the attack that weren't. Feels like that's a little bit of a symptom of that, right? Where they didn't have the confidence to like just rip the shot. 
Yeah, because I, I think there was some some structural issues with how they were set up in the first half. But also, there was a lot of moments where they would get into a position and there would be a bold decision to be made and they would not make it. And you see Minnesota United make like with those same situations, making the bold decision or making like stringing that pass through a gap. And Austin players are looking at it and then turning and playing it backwards again. And like, I'm sure there is something structurally to being a bit safer than normal, but there are certain moments where the player makes the decision and they are choosing to be, to make the safe thing instead of trying to do something bigger. Right. And there was a lot of that. Well, we talked about the, the, the pat that the, not the anticipatory pass, right? But like the guy gets in a spot and another guy passes back to him standing in a spot and no, like, yeah, forward thinking forward, forward moving attack. Um, we talked a little bit about the rule changes. The time thing was a good one. I felt like the, um, the time wasting on the field seemed to be effective. There were not a lot of guys rolling around, even when Minnesota was ahead. And when they were, they were getting off quicker. So that was Did good they, to see. Didn't they say they're not going to implement some of the other ones with the replacement refs, though? The like the VAR, the uh, like announcing the VAR and things like that. Are the ones was one of the ones they're not going to do with the replacement refs. So we've seen we've seen some, but not all the changes. But they generally seemed um, pretty good. Back to the Cap Metro thing. I think the train was a bit of a mess for a lot of people. And so I think Cat Metro was really strong and apologizing for this timeout. We didn't have any trouble at all, but so we just got lucky. I feel like a lot of that issue was a lot of the issues for trains going southbound from the stadium downtown, not necessarily as much north out to where we were going. Um, but they're going to do it again on March 9th for the next home game, get another shot. So hopefully that yeah, works out for everybody that maybe had a bad experience. Have some practice between now and then. I, I'm i a, a lowly south sider, and so the train is not really an option for me. But we'd use the pedestrian crossing afterwards to get back to where we parked, and that was excellent. Probably shaved 10 or 15 minutes off of our walk out of the stadium. So uh, I, even if that night didn't go well, this is still probably uh, – not probably. This is a positive uh, going forward and hopefully they'll be able to iron out those wrinkles going forward. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then I guess we had a lot of prefs conferences during the week. Um, and I, we both talked about this before we started recording, like not a ton of interesting information, but, uh, Burrell and his, when he wasn't arguing with Jorge Iteralde, who probably deserved it, um, mentioned that we should expect, did you say, did you get the impression of like two new player signings in the summer would one, which was done and one was, when it was almost done, that's kind of what he said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said that, like, the way he talked about it was one of them isn't for sure. But I got the impression, like, if it's not this guy, it'll be someone else. And the one that's done, we assume, is Mikael Dessler, right? Like, there's enough smoke there that uh, that one seems like a sure thing. The other one, we don't have any clues, right? Who the second second mystery signing would be there's been no reports that i've seen no not specifically who that might be other than i would imagine we all are under the hope and belief that it's a forward or a goal scoring player of some sort yeah he one one another thing i thought was noteworthy and i think we've assumed that our current players are still on the market like if you come with the right offer that anybody's for sale and he more or less confirmed that with some of the things he said, like, yeah, we've got a little bit of space. Des like the unnamed Desler 
was part of that space. But the only other way we make any bigger moves is if someone goes out and we're looking at all of these possibilities. So uh, I we've heard, I think Matt Doyle said it on Extra Time a few times. We've heard Tom Bogert mention it in his YouTube channel and uh, in his articles that almost any Austin FC player is for sale for the right price. So come and get them. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. At the right price. Um, all right. Well, let's maybe take another break and then we'll preview Seattle, I think. How does that sound? Yep. Sounds good. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our premier sponsor, McGuire Woods Consulting. McGuire Woods Consulting helps clients in the public affairs space from lobbying at the local, state, and federal levels to digital and communications campaigns across the country. McGuire Woods Consulting has offices in 10 MLS cities, but only advertises on this podcast because it's the home of the two-time reigning Copa Tejas champions, which is the most important trophy in professional sports. Contact our friends at McGuire Woods Consulting at mwcllc.com for more information. Moon Tower Soccer is also brought to you by Sage Wilson Realty. The Sage Wilson team is made up of Austin experts who are client-focused and have over 30 years of combined real estate experience. If you or someone you know are in need of Sage Real Estate Advice in Austin, talk to our friends at Sage Wilson Realty. Be sure to check them out online at sagewilson.com. All right, we are back. We're going to preview the upcoming game against the Seattle Sounders. This is away in Seattle. Uh, do you have a – this is on Saturday. Do you have a time pulled up, it's Jeremiah? The, it will be 9.30 Central. Oh, man. S- 7.30 in Seattle. Uh, it's part of our standardized Apple TV schedule. So this will be one. Yeah, it'll be a late one. Um, but I have an event that night, and so maybe I will be able to come home. Yeah, I'll actually be able to watch it all after the event's over. <laughs> all right. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the Seattle Sounders did in 2023. So, yes, last year, Seattle finished second in the Western Conference. Uh, they had the best defense in the league but only scored 41 goals, which is rare, which is out of character for Seattle. So they underperformed. It was like 48 point something was their average X goal. So significantly underperformed in the attack, which I think you can understand um, because that's some of the, some of the moves they made were to shore that up. Uh, Lost to LAFC and the conference semifinal after winning their first round, uh, round of three against, I think it was against Dallas, but lost LAFC who they also lost to, in 2024 uh, in the first match. There's a there's a repeating pattern there. So Nico Lodero goes out. Uh, Pedro De La Vega, Danny Masoski come in. And Nathan, who you wrote in here, so like, just yeah, like a he guy was, named Nathan? or uh, I think it's Natan. He's a Natan, Brazilian okay. center back that played for San Jose for uh, a few years. I think he was maybe an ACL tear or something and missed, I think, all of last season. And then was a free agent and was available, and they picked him up. And I think Yamar was out uh, for some reason. I don't remember exactly why, but they had one of their starting center backs was out, and Natan stepped in and, by all accounts, did a really good job in this game. Um, so he should be a pretty good addition to an already strong center back core. I think he was paired with Jackson Reagan in their game against LAFC. And they De had La a Vegas, lot, quite a, I was going to say De La f- Vegas was the biggest. He's the the most expensive transfer feed Seattle's ever made. So they're obviously expecting a lot out of him too. Yeah, he came on. They, they're saying he's not quite fit to start yet, and I think that's going to be the case against Austin as well. Um, but he played, I think, twenty five or thirty minutes and was really good by all accounts. Uh, 
they Jordan Morris draws a penalty late in the game and they let De La Vega take it and he buries it. And so, yeah, 23-year-old Austin will likely not have to face him for most of the game, but even from what he showed the other day, 30 minutes is probably still going to be a handful of this kid. Uh, they were missing quite a few guys of their normal starters the other day and were still able to give LAFC a run for their money. Did, from what you've seen, does it seem like any of these players are going to be back against us? So Rusnak was a late scratch for them. I think he was injured in Friday in training. Stefan Fry, the goalkeeper, doesn't seem like he's going to be back. Joel Paulo doesn't seem like he's going to be back. I think Rusnak's the one that might be back, but the other guys were... What I was seeing was we're looking at like late March returns, so I would not expect to see Fry or Joe Paolo from them. Um, but may, maybe Rusnak, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, so they they played a couple of young guys in central midfield, but they're like experienced young guys because Seattle has a bunch of really good young players that they give minutes to. Uh, but then one of the other, like, oh, I guess we'll play this guy, and it's Raúl Ruiz Diaz. So, <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Um, they have some pretty good options. And so I don't think if they're missing a bunch of players, it's necessarily going to be like, okay, Austin has a chance now. Um, but I mean, I don't, I don't feel great about Austin going up against any team really, but a Seattle team, just because Seattle has that pedigree, right? Like they always have some level of competence. And then on top of that, Austin kind of going on the road, with their tail tucked between their legs after this last week. I I, I mean, I think if Drewsy comes back, maybe he could make a difference in this one, but otherwise I don't have high hopes for it. Yeah. I kind of feel the same way. It was, I was reading the Sounders at heart season preview this morning and you know, it's like, well, Seattle didn't really do, do anything to address our number nine. Other than the fact that they have Jordan Morris and Raul Rui Diaz to play that spot. I was like, and Danny Wasowski. Okay. And, oh, yeah, and Andy Wasowski. That's right. So I feel like that's way deeper than maybe a certain team in Austin. You know, one thing that's we know that Driussi does not like playing on turf, and we've seen some negative health outcomes out of it. Seattle has a turf field. Do you feel like that makes it less likely that he comes back? I don't know. I was doing some research on uh, research. I read two articles, but of <laughs> okay. other people who have done research. And there's like a pretty large body of evidence now that says. Turf doesn't matter. You, a, a soccer player is not more likely to get hurt on turf. I think in American football, I think they said ACL tears are slightly more likely. But in soccer, that there's no evidence to say that you're more likely to get injured. Josh Wolf has still brought that up. So it seems like at least Sebastian Drusi believes that he's more likely to get injured on turf. Uh but we also have like Dave Tinney works for us now and he worked for Seattle for a long time playing on that turf. You'd think he would know better than anybody uh, like what that turf and what turf in general will do to players. And so I'm curious to see what they say about it going into this week. If he is like, he would be good to go, but it's turf. So we're going to hold him out. Like that would be interesting to me. And even if that was true, uh, they wouldn't say that. Right, I don't. I don't think that would ever be the announcement that the club would make. Probably that, not before the game, at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's against a team that. Okay, 
we shouldn't read anything in the preseason predictions from MLS pundits. So I guess a team that people, a lot of people seem to think is going to be the top three in the West. Austin coming <laughs> off that performance at home against Minnesota. And I feel like Austin has also given us plenty of reason to not rely on like injuries since Minnesota was without two of their top attacking players right. in this first match. And we're 11th in the West last year. Um, you know, yeah, not super excited about it, but stranger things have happened in this league. So let's just count on one of those happening. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? Now let's go ahead and wrap it up. All right. We'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Come find us on Twitter at LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX. And then check out the Patreon. Check out Phil West Substack at verdealldaysubstack.com. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back next week with a review of the Seattle match, and then we'll preview the St. Louis City match and cover any other news that happens. Until then, I'm Lenny Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Think for nothing, you never. La gente. Oh my god. <laughs>